Coming up next on a special edition of In Focus, we look at the Indiana impact of the coronavirus crisis. With new developments coming day by day and hour by hour, today you'll see our interviews with Indiana Representative Susan Brooks, Andre Carson, Trey Hollingsworth, and Jim Banks. Plus, our Washington Bureau speaks with Indiana native Seema Verma, who's now a part of the Coronavirus Task Force. It's all ahead on this special edition of In Focus. Exploring the issues that matter most in Indiana. This is In Focus with Dan Spieler. Good morning, everyone. I'm Bob Donaldson. We'll hear from Dan Spieler in just a moment. We start today with the state's response to the COVID-19 with Governor Eric Holcomb enacting new orders late this week, closing Indiana schools for the rest of the school year and taking additional measures to extend the state of emergency and Indiana's stay-at-home guidelines. Our Kayla Sullivan has more now from the State House. The state is closing all K through 12 schools until the end of the school year. That means all learning will be remote until summer break. Let's face it, some of our classrooms can be like petri dishes. Uh, that's always just been a fact. Uh, we can't return, we can't deny the facts for the world we live in today, right now. And so the last thing that we wanna do is kid ourselves about our kids' health and safety. Our goal, given this very difficult situation, is to ensure that students have some type of continuous learning. It may not all be e-learning, but we are, we are hopeful that we can um, offer some type of continuous learning to all of our kids. All schools are instructed to complete a continuous learning plan and they're required to finish 160 days of instruction that starts from March 19th until the end of the school year. Reporting from the Indiana State House, Kayla Sullivan for In Focus. Kayla, thank you. Last weekend, Surgeon General and Indiana native Dr. Jerome Adams made headlines when he called Indianapolis an emerging hotspot for COVID-19. And certainly in the days since, we have seen the numbers climb here in Marion County and all across the state. Our Russ McQuaid has more. Downtown Indianapolis appears deserted, except for the virtual anxiety and anticipation of an expected COVID-19 patient surge. Jerome Adams is America's Surgeon General, an IU Med School graduate and the former Indiana State Health Commissioner. So when he listed Indianapolis alongside other big city emerging COVID-19 hotspots, his message was an attention getter, as a friend says it was intended to be. Jerome and I were in medical school together, so I've known him for several years now. We're not in the same situation yet as those other cities, but I think he's also pointing out how quickly a city like Indianapolis could potentially become like a Detroit, like a New Orleans, if we don't follow the proper steps to mitigate this spread and to flatten the curve. Governor Eric Holcomb and State Health Commissioner Dr. Christina Box have taken political heat for not raising the profile of Indiana's medical care needs with Hoosier friends in Washington, like Vice President Mike Pence, Health and Human Services Secretary Alex Azar, and Dr. Adams. And what good is it to have friends in this administration like our former governor if we're not asking for what we need from the federal government? It's a situation Indianapolis leaders are also watching closely. We are not uh, in a crisis mode uh, yet. Now, uh, having said that, we don't know what the numbers will, uh, will be. I'm worried about having access to enough ventilators, having access to enough drugs, having access to enough supplies, because again, you look at where we're going right now, there is a 
trajectory of patients, just it's growing every day. Indianapolis is not as densely packed as some of those other cities, and it doesn't have as many international visitors. So for once, being the capital of a flyover state plays to our advantage. In downtown Indianapolis, Russ McQuaid, CBS4 News. Russ, thank you. Also this week, our Dan Spieler spoke with several members of Indiana's congressional delegation about the ongoing fight against the coronavirus. He joins us now with more. Dan? Hi there. I'm here at home this week talking with Indiana lawmakers. They are now back home as well, dealing with this coronavirus outbreak. And this week, we're hearing from Indiana lawmakers on both sides of the aisle about what Congress may need to do next. Uh, this is unknown territory. We've had other viruses recently that we've contended with, uh, nothing quite like this. Hopefully we won't have too many other instances like New York City and the state of New York. Although you can see New Jersey has now fallen into uh, uh, a category very similar due to that proximity. So whether it be Chicago, whether it be Indianapolis, whether it be Dallas, uh, any urban area needs to plan like for the worst so that they're prepared in any fashion to uh, confront it when it gets there. I want to get your reaction to the rather grim numbers we heard from the White House yesterday that we could see anywhere between 100,000 and some 200,000 or more deaths by the time we're through with the coronavirus in the United States. Well, obviously those are startling numbers and again, accentuates just how important it is that we continue to do everything that we can to uh, flatten the curve. I was on a call just a little bit ago with um, Dr. Fauci, and uh, he was he was um, telling us to let the American people know that our that our efforts are working. That what states like the state of Indiana is doing uh, is working because the statistics are showing that it's playing out. But that doesn't mean that we don't have a rocky road ahead, and uh, that's why I I continue to applaud Governor Holcomb for his enormous leadership and making the tough calls. Uh, that he has and uh, believe that Indiana is going to come out of this in a better position than a lot of other states have because of uh, his leadership. Obviously, a crisis brings a different tone to the nation's capital altogether. Uh, can Republicans and Democrats work together in these difficult times to, to put aside political divisions and focus perhaps later on blame where blame needs to be assigned and work right now to get through this crisis day by day? I believe so. I believe what you are seeing is a nation, just like so many times before, being challenged by an external force, but will rise to meet that challenge. What I tell every Hoosier, what I tell every American is that we are resolved and resolute, and we will continue to stand as strong as we need to in the face of this virus to ensure that Americans not only will survive and prevail over this, but that we'll get back to our normal daily lives. Congresswoman Brooks, I want to get your reaction to some of the moves that the state has been making lately, including closing Indiana K through 12 schools through the end of the year. Not a surprising move that Indiana schools are closing. What's your reaction and your message to, uh, to citizens here across the state? I, the governor and uh, state superintendent Jennifer McCormick, I think, really have had no choice. Um, we haven't flattened the curve yet. Well, I think we have to continue to do what we're doing. We have to, um, you know, and again, I, I like how the governor refers to it as hunker down Hoosiers. 
we have to stay at home. We have to really uh, implement social distancing uh, in an incredibly significant way. Um, you know, yesterday, even when I went out to get the mail, I thought, you know, we've got all these frontline workers from postal workers to grocery store clerks to pharmacists that have to do their job, that we count on them to do their job. We hope and pray that they stay safe. And we really want to find out who's already had it. Because many people have so many different kinds of symptoms, those people who maybe already have it, who have a probable immunity to it, maybe eventually in the very near future, we can loosen up some of these restrictions and get some people back to work if they've already had this horrible virus. Let's talk about the economic impact. Obviously, many, many people are now filing for unemployment. I know you've also been looking into ways we can help our small businesses. Will we need to do more? Will Congress need to take additional action beyond the three relief packages that have already been passed into law? Well, I did. I flew back to Washington last week and voted for uh, the largest and the most historic aid package the country has ever seen. It's something we had to do. We are trying to make sure that those small businesses, and I know many people, both employed by small businesses and who own small businesses, they are struggling immensely. Six and a half million Americans have filed for unemployment. There are so many things that we have to do to come together. We realize that our neighbors, our families are suffering. So I love that the governor uh, put out in, in all together or in this together, hashtag in this together, uh, that Lilly and the Pacers and the Colts and Purdue and IU and our all, uh, everyone pulling together. We are in this together. We're going to get through this together. All right. Congresswoman Susan Brooks, thank you so much for your time. We appreciate it. Thanks, Dan. Stay, stay healthy and safe. Congressman Susan Brooks there in an interview with our Dan Spieler on Friday. Last weekend, our Washington correspondent Trevor Shirley spoke with Indiana Congressman Andre Carson about the federal relief signed into law by the president and the ongoing fight against the virus. The, the, the bill is not perfect. I think like with any solid piece of legislation, you, you're given a chance to go back and make corrections. Uh, there, there are several other phases that uh, we will look at uh, as time goes by. But something has to be done. I think it, 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 it's robust. Uh, Democrats and Republicans negotiated. I think Speaker Pelosi did a great job in terms of negotiating not only with uh, Republican leadership, but also with the administration. And so I, I think what is paramount is that we address the needs of the American people first and foremost. Um, would you have been satisfied having this uh, be a vote by unanimous consent? Or are you disappointed that so many people had to go back for this? I'm disappointed. Uh, my colleagues on both sides of the aisle have expressed concerns about uh, getting infected or, or, or spreading this virus to their loved ones and to other colleagues and to staffers and those who are vulnerable. So to have many of us, hundreds of us, come back to D.C. in mass, I think it's irresponsible. Uh, looking ahead, when can Hoosiers expect to get to start to feel the impact of this? You know, I, I'm not an economist, but from what experts are saying, they're saying it could take several months. Uh, they're also saying around the fall there could be a second wave. Uh, what we want to do is flatten the curve, and I think flattening the curve requires us to listen to healthcare experts and officials. Coming up next this Sunday on In Focus, we'll hear from Vice President Pence and talk with our panel about this week's top stories. Plus, 
federal agency stepping in to create more beds for coronavirus patients. I'm Kelly Meyer reporting from Washington how they say they plan to find the space. What I can promise your viewers is, is we're going to continue to bring the president the best uh, recommendations based on real-time data and science for what, what every state, what every community should be doing. Vice President Mike Pence in an interview with CNN earlier this week. It's time now to bring in our panel to talk about this week's top stories. Dan? Bob, thanks so much. I'm here with our panelists right now. Robin Winston, Mike Murphy, Tony Samuel, Jennifer Wagner. So much to talk about, obviously, as we continue to look at the state's response to this coronavirus crisis. And Robin, I want to start with you. What do you make of the state's response here as the governor announces this week that K through 12 schools will be closed through the end of the year, extending some of those stay at home orders and the state of emergency? How do you gauge the state's response so far? Well, quite frankly, I've been impressed. I mean, the, the daily press conferences have been succinct and to the point. Uh, he's been very, very knowledgeable of the issue. He's known when to step back, unlike people at the federal level, and let the experts that know this, uh, this case, how to deal with it. So I've been impressed with what he's done so far. Mike, we have heard, though, some criticism from people who say we still need to be doing more. I, I don't think so, quite frankly, Dan. I think the governor's response has been measured and calm. It's been judicious. He's made decisions when the evidence and the experts have pointed to more decisions being made, like extending the, um, the uh, stay-at-home and emergency as he did on, on Friday. So I think his, uh, his performance so far has been exemplary, and the only people who seem to be criticizing it for the most part are people from out of state who want every state to act the same. Every state is different, every governor is different, and the needs of every state are different. Ohio's governor has gotten a lot of praise. A number of governors have. Uh, Jennifer, your thoughts? Yeah, I have to agree with the, the panel. I think that Governor Holcomb has uh, done a good job. He, the the con press conferences every day are, as you say, succinct to the point. Um, I was really happy on Friday to see that he uh, talked about uh, mental health um, and the, the toll that this is all taking um, on all of us. That's kind of the undercurrent running in the background. So, you know, I can't, I can't find a lot to criticize. Tony, this is so difficult uh, for all of us, obviously, as we go through this day by day. Um, what strikes you as we look at the government response here at the federal, state, and the local level? Well, I, I think I, uh, the governor's uh, on the mark, just, just like everybody on the panel has already stated. I think that's so key. Um, it, it, it's to, the, to send a message to Hoosiers, not to despair. And he does that through his tone and his message. Uh, his delivery, I think, is important. Uh, he spends the right amount of time. He takes questions, has the right amount, the right people around him. And, you know, it's tough on everybody, especially those who've uh, maybe lost a loved one or somebody that's that's critically ill. Uh, and then th then there's uh, the most of uh, the rest of us that are in this uh, at home. Um, and and, and it's, it's tough watching the negative news all the time, but it's important not to despair and to make the best out of it, spend the time, uh, valuable time with your kids. Uh, one of my son taught me, he's teaching me how to play Fortnite. I watched a couple of scary movies with my daughter. You know, that kind of thing, do stuff 
that, that you don't get to do when, when we're so busy all the time, you know, clean your garage, right? go through things, th those kinds of things. And I think the governor is setting the right tone. We're all doing what we can do, staying home if, if we're sick and, and all of those things. You know, we, we mentioned it a little while ago, state by state, it's been a different response. Robin, do, do you feel we need a more unified national response as opposed to a, a patchwork of, of state and local responses to this? First off, we got to depoliticize it. We've yet to, the president's yet to depoliticize it. I mean, telling governors that you have to reach out to me for support and the friction there, that's, I mean, that's not what he should be doing. Um, once again, I've watched his press conferences, Tony. I really have watched them. And he'll let Fauci or he'll let uh, Burks talk for a little bit, but then he has to be back in front of the microphone again. And we've been all over the place. Remember his first rally said this was a democratic hoax. That's not consistent messaging. And I think that the best thing that he could do is do what the vice president is doing, and that is step back at the press conferences and let the experts tell us what's really going on. Well, if I could respond, uh, since, uh, you know, I, I think the general message to everybody around the country is let's, and I think you said it, Robin, depoliticize, but then you attack the president. Um, I think he's doing a great job, as I said, you know, last time I was on this show, he, he takes questions for about an hour. That's why he's on there. And nobody has been so transparent in, in such a such a crisis, uh, in such a time of crisis. Uh, he's got the experts around him. It's clear that he's listening to them. Dr. Fauci has said that time and time again when the media has tried to pit them against one, one another. And, uh, you know, he's, he's showing command of the issues. He's being uh, decisive. He's making the right decision. So it, it does trouble me that the Democrats are out there at the national level, still now trying to, to come up with another investigation, another uh, way to try to take him down. But he's handling it well. I think the, the, the general public appreciates the openness and the transparency. There's been a bit of a, a mixed reaction in the polling in terms of the president's response. Of course, it is an election year, and, and truly everyone is focused on trying to focus, <laughs> I, I believe, on this crisis right now. But as we move along, there will be all of those questions about about how this started and about the ramifications in an election year. But Mike and Jennifer, as you look ahead to the 2020 landscape here, we're already looking to the Democratic National Convention being postponed till August, Jennifer, and you have to wonder if, if even that's wishful thinking or, or if perhaps things like conventions and, and elections even will have to be conducted differently. Yeah, I think that those are all good questions to ask. I think, you know, I, I hope that Indiana Democrats follow suit and, and postpone our convention um, for the safety of, of the folks who would attend that. This whole thing has us reconsidering what is necessary in person and what can we do via a Zoom meeting, for example. Like this, um, yes. Yeah, and that's, that's, that's a big part of what's going to come out of this. Um, and I do think, you know, look, this is going to be political, obviously. We have an election this year. I think what it's going to come down to is the economy. If we get back on track, if things bounce back, you know, maybe this doesn't uh, take a toll on President Trump, but everything that I'm seeing leans in, a, in another direction. Mike, quickly, I'll give you the final word here. Well, I think the first of all, the, the all-star in Washington, I think, have been two people, the all-stars, Dr. Fauci, who I think his name should be on a dollar bill someday or something, and Mike Pence, who's been the steadiest guy behind the microphone for the last few weeks. When it comes to the party conventions, you have to remember, each party has the right to set their own rules on how a convention operates. It doesn't have to be like 2016 or 2012 or even 1964. It can be the way they want it to be. You could reduce the number of delegates. You could have, uh, you could have a sense where 
Uh, they're not as jammed up in a room as you normally like to see with the big balloon drop and all that. They have a lot of flexibility, and I think it's incumbent upon them to have their convention while also maintaining some sense of safety as well. I think there'll be, there will be virtual balloons regardless, right? That's, That's a right. Any convention. Guys, stay safe. It's great to see you. Thanks so much for being with us today here on this virtual panel for In Focus. Stick around. We'll be right back. A federal health official who's originally from Indiana is on the front lines of this fight against the coronavirus. Seema Verma is the administrator for the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services and a member of the Coronavirus Task Force. This week, she caught up with Kelly Meyer from our Washington Bureau to talk about relaxing current guidelines for hospitals so they can expand their facilities as needed. It's called hospitals without walls. They could use a college dormitory. They could use a gymnasium. A new program creating room for critical coronavirus cases while continuing to give uninfected patients the care they need. It allows hospitals to provide services off-site. Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services Administrator Seema Verma says the agency is changing the rules to pay for patients' treatment outside of hospitals and clinics. FEMA is already helping expand hospital space in states across the country. Verma says this initiative adds to the work they have done and allows more involvement on the local level. What we want to do is empower local communities to start thinking about this and to use the resources that they already have in their community. The CMS waivers will allow hospitals to transfer uninfected patients to these sites, making room for those testing positive for the coronavirus. As far as filling these new spaces with supplies, Verma says they want to make sure healthcare workers have the tools they need to save lives. FEMA has set a, a very special force of people that are working to find supplies. And then we've also seen a great response from the private sector in the United States. I think we're hearing every day about companies that are stepping forward to produce ventilators. We heard that from GE. Verma says new efforts are being made every day at the agency to take care of Americans during this pandemic. Reporting in Washington, I'm Kelly Meyer. We're back to wrap things up right after this. Thanks for watching this edition of In Focus. We have more coverage and resources on our website, and there's much more news to come later this morning. Stay healthy. We'll see you next week.